Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. As Pastor Bill said, we are finishing our study this morning through the book of Colossians with the final 12 verses this morning of Colossians chapter 4. A little while ago, I was sorting through some old paperwork at my house and I came across the first public speech that I ever gave at my sixth grade graduation where I was a co-valedictorian of my class. And after what seemed like a lengthy speech, which was probably about two minutes, I, I concluded it, as speeches tend to do, by saying thank you to certain people. I said thank you to my classmates, I gave a thank you to my teachers, I said thank you to my parents, and I gave a specific shout out and thank you to my mom, because moms always deserve an extra shout out, right? They always deserve that extra bit. Well, as Pastor Ed told us last week, in Colossians chapter 4, we, we went through verse 6 last week, and it kind of reached the end. The body of the letter came to an end last week. And what we have today, these last 12 verses, are kind of that additional ending of personal greeting, commendation, and instruction to specific individuals. It's what I've called for a scripture shout-outs this morning. As Paul gives specific mention, instruction, and greetings to some specific people, either from where he's at or in the town that he's writing to. And if you have your Bibles this morning, would you open them, please, to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians, chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 7 to 18 as we finish off this series that we've been going through for several months through the book of Colossians. Now, as Pastor Ed highlighted last week, we get a lot of fun names today. And I just want to assure you that you do not have to pronounce these names correctly to get into heaven. There is no surprise entrance exam when you get there. So I will do my best and I ask for your grace as we work through some of these names in this passage together. Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 7, says this. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Tychicus, we know from the book of Acts, joined Paul on his third missionary journey and been his companion at this point for probably six to eight years. And he is the one who is actually delivering this letter along with Onesimus to the town of Colossae. We know that he likely also on this same trip delivered the book of Ephesians and probably also the book of Philemon. And even though he hadn't served with Paul for long, you can see how highly he is recommended by Paul, that he is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. Paul says, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Now, Onesimus, if you know your New Testament, is the subject of the book of Philemon. He was a slave who had run away and somewhere encountered Paul and been converted to Christianity and now placed his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the remarkable things about just this quick commendation of Onesimus, who's been given the high task of traveling with Tychicus to deliver this letter, is that we know Onesimus is a slave. Paul in Colossians chapter 3 verse 11 said, In Christ there is neither 
slave nor free. And he lives that out here by taking on someone of a different social status as one of his ministry partners and describing him as a faithful and a beloved brother. One of the tasks that Tychicus and Onesimus were given to do is something that Paul highlights, a quality that he highlights. And this first quality that Paul highlights in this passage this morning is that both of these men are there to encourage them and they are generous in their encouragements. This first quality that receives a specific compliment by Paul are people who are generous in their encouragement of others. No doubt Paul could have probably sent many different people to deliver this letter to the town and the village and the people there of Colossae. But he chose Tychicus and Onesimus because they had been men who were known for their encouragement. And he wanted to make sure that as he was in chains, he couldn't travel himself, that the people representing him were ones who would go and encourage others in their faith and their faithfulness to Jesus Christ. And so he sends them to be generous in their encouragement to others. See, the gift of encouragement that you could give to other people, that each of us can give to others, can be a powerful tool that God can use in the life of others. The gift of encouragement is a powerful thing that each and every one of us has the ability to use and bless and give to other people. When we think of generosity, so often we think of financial generosity, which is good, and the Bible calls us to that. But we can be generous in other ways, and I want to challenge us this morning to think of how we can be generous in encouraging the people around us. See, to be generous in encouragement, you have to be wise stewards and users of two resources that each of us have the exact same amount of every day. The first thing is you have to be a good use of your time. To be an encourager simply takes a little bit of time. It doesn't take days, it might not even take hours, but a little bit of your time to write the thank you card, to place the phone call, to send the text message, to find someone after church today and have a brief conversation. It takes a little bit of your time, something that each of us have the same amount of every single day. The other thing that encouragement takes, it takes our time, but it also takes our attention. Encouragement takes our attention on other people. See, to truly encourage someone else, you have to know something about them. You have to have observed something about them. You have to have seen them do something. And to encouragement to truly take place, our, our, our eyes, our attention has to be off of ourselves and on to other people. Which is why you will never find someone who is prideful and encouraging other people. Because a prideful person's attention is on themselves. But it's a humble person who looks and is having the attention not on them, but looking at other people, and they then can give encouragement to others. I personally have been profoundly blessed at periods of my life due to people offering me a word of encouragement at just the right time. It cost them nothing but their time and attention, but it's had a powerful influence on my life. This last fall, just about a year ago, I remember a specific example of this. It was a, a Sunday night. 
I had preached in the morning service here that morning. I had several meetings in the afternoon and had to prepare and preach a different sermon at our Sunday night service. And then after that service, there was a steady flow of people coming forward with, with counseling needs, with wisdom, with needing for prayer that I got to minister to. And at this point, it's 7 p.m. I've been at church before the sun was up. The sun is down. I am thinking one thing. I want to go home. I am tired, I want to go home. And I'm leaving where the Sunday night service has met, and I'm leaving Clarkview, about to go into the lobby here, and I'm literally on the threshold of the door, and I hear, hey, Pastor Best, do you have a few minutes? Now, I know that a few minutes is never just two minutes, right? A few minutes is never just one or two minutes. And then they, they say, hey, can we go grab a seat over here in the corner, further confirming my suspicions. This was not going to be a two to three minute conversation. I said, yes. I remember walking over there and, and I still remember this. I prayed to God. I said, God, I am empty in every single way right now. I am tired. I'm hungry, emotionally I'm spent, mentally I'm drenched, spiritually I've preached twice today. I have nothing left. God, whatever, whatever this young man needs, you've got to help provide it because it certainly can't come from anything on my own. So I go and I sit down with him and we exchange some quick conversation. And then I ask him, so, so why, what, what do you need? Why did you, um, what, why'd you call me over? What's going on in your life? And he just said, you know what? Nothing's going on in my life. I just wanted to pray for you. Can I pray for you tonight before you go home? I said, absolutely. And this young man in our church stood next to me, put his hand on my shoulder, and prayed a powerful prayer over my life. I got up, I left, I came to my office, grabbed my things, I took the elevator down, got in my car, I sat down, and I wept sitting in my car. Because that young man had no idea how empty I was. But he came along, took a few minutes of his time, and his attention was on me, not on himself. And he had a profound impact on my life simply through a 10-minute conversation and a prayer that he offered for me. My friends, each of us can give that gift of encouragement to other people. It takes the resource of time and attention, something all of us have. So would you use your time and attention not just to focus on yourself, but would you use it to look to others, to encourage others? What if every person who came to this church every Sunday left encouraged? How different would our lives be if we offered encouragement and other people were encouraging others every single time that we gathered here together? The Bible calls us to be generous in our encouragement of others. And Paul highlights this fact that Tychicus and Onesimus were to be generous in their encouragement to this church. Verse 10 says this, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Aristarchus also, we know from the book of Acts, joined Paul on his third missionary journey about six to eight years ago. What's amazing is scholars believe that he's his fellow prisoner because he volunteered to go. He volunteered to go, most likely, to Rome in prison to accompany Paul so he wouldn't be there by himself. 
Aristarchus, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Now, Mark has a long history in the New Testament. Mark is, as it says, the cousin of Barnabas. And on Paul's first missionary journey, Barnabas and Paul went out, Mark joined them, and then halfway through, it got tough, it got difficult, and Mark bailed. He went home. He left them. And it was such a causing thing to Paul, so, so traumatic that on his second journey, when Barnabas wanted Mark to come, Paul said no. And they actually split ways, Barnabas and Paul split ways because of this disagreement over Mark. 20 years plus later, Mark shows back up in these letters in the New Testament. And somewhere along the line, Paul and Mark have reconciled and are now working together as he commends him. And we're going to see his faithfulness to him in ministering. It says, Mark, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice, who we don't know much about throughout the New Testament. But we do know this. These three, these are the only men of the circumcision. This isn't a religious group. These mean men of Jewish descent, Jewish heritage. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. The second quality that Paul highlights in this passage is those who are dependable in comfort. Those who are dependable in showing comfort and coming alongside those who have experienced pain and affliction and showing the grace of God by giving comfort to people who are in need. See, God uses people to be his agents of comfort to the hurting people around us. God often uses his church people, the flesh and blood gathered here, to be the ones whom he uses to provide his supernatural comfort to the people in our church, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our cities, to provide comfort from God. 2 Corinthians puts it this way. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comforts who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Paul has lived a difficult life through many afflictions and trials and tribulations. And these three men, one of whom he obviously had a profound disagreement over earlier in his life, had been such a profound comfort to Paul that he commends and recommends and sends their greetings on his behalf. See, affliction and pain and suffering comes to us all. None of us are exempt from it. But in the midst of our affliction and our pain and suffering, we receive, as followers of Jesus Christ, we receive comfort from the living God. And how that cycle works is after we have received comfort from God, the command is then for us to go and be that comfort to the hurting people around us. That as we have received comfort from God, we then move and we are the agents by which other people receive that same comfort from God himself. What is our reaction 
When we see someone who's hurting, who's in pain, who's in difficulty, the easy thing can be to withdraw. It's messy to walk with people through a lot of hurt and pain and suffering. But as we see people who are hurting and in pain and in suffering, the Bible calls us to lean in. To lean in with the comfort that God has given us to comfort those around us. See, your afflictions and trials and tribulations that you have gone through through your life give you specific windows of opportunity that you can show and share the comfort and love of Jesus Christ to other people because you have experienced that comfort in the very same way. That we can be agents of comfort to show the love of Jesus Christ to other people. Paul continues in this closing paragraph here with another commendation of an individual that we've seen before. He says this in verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those at Laodicea and in Heropolis. Now, Laodicea has been mentioned before. Heropolis is mentioned here for the first time in the book. These are the neighboring towns to the city of Colossae. I believe we have a map here um, of of kind of the the Middle East. This is Rome is over here. Greece is here. And this is in modern-day Turkey. Where, where Colossae is. And you can see the blow up of the map here. Colossae is here on the Lycus River Valley. 12 miles away is Laodicea. 15 miles away is Heropolis. Most likely, Epaphras started all three of those churches. And he brings his greetings to all three of these churches that Epaphras has started because he's heard the gospel and wanted to share the gospel with others. Paul has already talked about Epaphras in the book of Colossians. It says in Colossians chapter 1, Verses 7 and 8. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Now what's amazing in chapter 4 in how Paul talks about Epaphras, about how he struggled for them, his wanting them to be mature and them to come to a full understanding of Christ, it mirrors Paul's own description of his ministry to the church in Colossae. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 1. It says this, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those who are at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. In talking about Epaphras' ministry to the, the church in Colossae, Paul highlights the effort that Epaphras has gone through for them. It says again in chapter 4, in verse 12, it says that he is struggling on your behalf in his prayer. Struggling is this image of wrestling before God for you. This isn't, 
hey, once in a while, Epaphras probably prays for you. This is, he prays for you every day. And he is struggling for you in prayer. It says this, that he is born witness, that he has worked hard. This word, worked hard here, is translated three other times. It occurs in the book of Revelation three times. It's either translated pain or anguish the other three times. It's an idea of a painful exertion, a painful effort undertaken on behalf of someone else. Because Epaphras had this quality about him that Paul wanted to commend him and to, to others. This quality is he was one who was steadfast in effort. He was steadfast in his ministry efforts towards the people at Colossae. He has struggled. He has worked hard for them. Paul certainly understood from his own life, his own ministry, that serving God is hard at times. Serving God can be difficult at times. And often it can feel like a struggle, like painsome toil. And he commends Epaphras for his continuing to push through, continuing to serve God, to be faithful in what God's called him to do, even when it gets difficult and the trials and tribulations come. See, serving God is hard, and our commitment and effort is needed not just for a day, a month, or even a year, but if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God calls for you to have a steadfast effort in showing the love of Jesus Christ to other people. Several years ago, I remember I had lunch with someone who was at the time serving in our high school ministry. And this, this young man was a, uh, a small group leader for freshman boys. And he had started serving with us at the beginning of the school year, and this was January, so he had just been a part of our team for three months. And we went out to lunch. I wanted to catch up with him, see how his Christmas break was. And he told me at lunch that day, you know what? Um, I'm going to stop serving in the high school ministry at Moody Church. It's kind of surprising to me. He seemed like it was a great fit. He had gotten along well. Um, so I was a little taken aback. So I said, well, can you explain? Like, I, I thought you were getting along with everyone. Can you just explain to me why you're stepping aside from ministry now? And he looked at me, and he was a, a very young man, and he said, well, I've been serving faithfully for three months, and I don't see any spiritual fruit yet, so I don't think God's called me to this ministry. He'd been serving as a small group leader for three months to freshman boys. I wanted to look at him and be like, yeah, so? Like, what's, what's your point? He missed out because he thought that spiritual growth happened overnight. He thought it was quick. If he would have stayed, he would have gotten to walk alongside young men who are all now in college, many of whom are honoring and serving the Lord. And he would have seen some of the fruit of his time, but he wasn't steadfast. He just said for a couple months he's in and then he got out. See, spiritual growth doesn't happen overnight. It's not something that we can stick in a microwave and two minutes later it comes out ready and done. And for those of us who love Jesus and want to minister to the people around us, I just want to remind you this morning, as Epaphras showed us, sometimes it just takes steadfastness in our effort. Not to give up, not to stop ministering, not to stop showing the love of Jesus Christ, but to continue to struggle and to work hard for the people that God has placed in our lives. 
Paul ends the book by commending many different people. Verse 14, he says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. Luke, of course, is the same one who wrote the Gospel of Luke as well as the book of Acts, a traveling companion of Paul on his later missionary journeys and is here in Rome with him. As does Demas. We don't know much about Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Nympha was likely a wealthy person who hosted one of the church locations in the town of Laodicea. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. They are to swap and receive the instructions from both. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. He reminds them of his location and the suffering he's gone under, and he closes as he does every letter with a reminder of the grace of God to sustain each and every one of us. But he says to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. The fourth quality that Paul highlights in this closing section of the book of Colossians is people who are faithful in ministry. People who are faithful in the ministry that God has given to them. Scholars love to debate and to speculate on what Archippus' ministry was. What was it? that Archippus was called to do? Was it preaching? Was it discipling? Was it evangelism? Was it in new converts? And I have read a lot this week and studied it up, and I want to let you know definitively that this is what scholars can conclude. We have no idea. We have no idea the ministry that Archippus had that Paul was commending to him. But I don't really think that it matters that much to us today. Archippus knew he knew the ministry that he had been called to by God. And his call from Paul was to fulfill that, to be faithful in what God had placed before him in fulfilling the mission of God. Sometimes in the Western world today in church, we have a misunderstanding of what ministry means. With the professionalization of our world, we come to a place like this and it's easy to sit back and to think, man, there are people at this church with undergrad degrees, doctor's degrees, master's degrees. There's people who go to conferences, all these pastors and other directors and leaders, they are so qualified to do the ministry. I'm just going to show up and they're going to minister to me and I'm going to go home so blessed. The problem is that's not how the Bible talks about church. See, in Ephesians chapter 4, it says this, that God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip the saints. That's every single follower of Jesus Christ. Everyone who's a follower of Jesus Christ. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. See, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are all in for Jesus, the question is not, do you have a ministry? The question is, what is the ministry God has given you, and are you being faithful in fulfilling it? See, most of us will never have the ministry of preaching. And so we can sit back and think, well, I don't, I don't have the gift of preaching. I'm not called to sing. So, so my, my ministry isn't important to the church. The, the question isn't, are you up front, but are you being faithful in doing the ministry that God has given 
to you. We're called as followers of Jesus who are all in for him to be faithful in ministering inside and outside the church. Are you faithful in the ministry that God has called you in this church? For the 200 people who serve with our children, to the 30 youth leaders, to the 50 ushers, to those who are on our tech teams, who are on hospitality across so many different ways, small group leaders, are you being faithful in fulfilling the ministry that God has called you to? And if you're a part of this church and you realize, I don't know what my ministry here is, now's the time to lean in. Because we're not here as a part of the body of Christ to sit back and be ministered to. But if we're followers of Jesus Christ, our call is to lean in and to minister to other people. Are you being faithful in the ministry that God has given you outside the church? Are you being faithful if you're married to your husband or wife and ministering to them? If you're a parent, are you being faithful in ministering to your children? If you're a grandparent, and ministering to your family that God's blessed you with? Are we being faithful in the ministry God has uniquely given each and every one of us where he's placed us? At your work, at your school, in your neighborhood, in your family. God has given each and every follower of Jesus Christ who's all in for him. He's given each of us a ministry. The question isn't, do I have a ministry? The question is, am I being faithful in living out and fulfilling the ministry that God has given to me? God, we thank you for this book that was written nearly 2,000 years ago, but is inspired by your Holy Spirit and so has profound impact on our lives today. And as Paul encouraged Archippus so many years ago, would you encourage our hearts today to be faithful where you have called and placed us to? God, as we have been so changed and transformed and captured by the supremacy of Jesus Christ in our lives, may we show that love to other people, to be faithful to the ministry that you've called us to. We thank you for Jesus, that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, that he is worthy of all our worship. Pray this in his name. Amen.